Oh, great God, we are thankful. We are thankful for your love for us. Your love that was manifested for us that while we were sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. Father, I pray that as we open your word this morning that it would be It would be the work of your Spirit in the life, the lives of your people that would renew our minds and transform our lives. That we would come expecting to hear from you. Father, I pray that your Spirit would cause me to be faithful in the preaching and teaching of your Word. And that your same Spirit would cause the listeners to be faithful in their listening. That we would be more like Christ than when we came in here today. We pray this in all, all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, Grace Fellowship Church. A couple of things that took place this week that I wanted to talk about before we get to today's text. Um, we're all, most all of us aware from Wednesday night and from the emails that uh, we, we had a week of going up to Des Moines about uh, uh, House Bill or House, I guess it wasn't a bill, HF2256. Uh, it was a uh, legislation that was introduced by Zach Deacon that was uh, accomplishing, uh, trying to accomplish the criminalization of abortion. And uh, based on three truths, one that um, all human life begins at fertilization. All human beings are made in the image of God and that no one has uh, the right to murder another human being. And as you probably also know, that bill was killed on Steve Holt's desk. The committee chair of the Judiciary Committee did not allow that, that bill to go past his desk and even go into a, uh, a committee to consider it going to the floor for a vote. This week, in discussing this with a few of you all, um, uh, it, it, was, it was interesting because uh, we, are, we, are, we are brainwashed as a culture into um, thinking that um, in, in, in many cases that uh, abortion is something that um, a, a mother does as a victim. And that um, the incrementalism that we've been taught, the world that we live in, all of the pro-lifers that you read or talk to, the goal is that um, we would end abortion, but not without criminalizing abortion and, and without uh, prosecuting mothers who take the lives of their children. Um, you know, the, you have all these incremental ways of, of attacking this, this evil that is, that is the blood of these children is on this land. And the ways that we attack this evil uh, historically has been with things like heartbeat bills or no abortions in the third trimester or uh, 20 weeks or 16 weeks and all these incremental things saying, hey, we'll codify or we'll put into law bills that say abortion's okay up to a certain point. Well, as Christians, we don't believe that. We don't believe that abortion's okay up until a single, at any point. Now, I'm thankful when, if and when, more lives are saved by a law that would save life at a certain point. But that's, that's not what we stand for. We stand for abolition. We stand for protection of all image bearers of God. That is what we believe as Christians. And that's, that's the truth that we went, I went, Tony and I went, we went to try and proclaim to anyone who would want to listen that day we went up to the state capitol. This, this, this way of thinking 
is so ingrained in our heads that, that we, we actually we think of things as a culture uh, and these, these pro-life, these, these pro-life advocates. Um, the man that I talked to for quite some time who's very high up in this whole pro-life movement in the state of Iowa, it is, it is this concept that if a woman took her two-week-old out-of-womb baby, her two-week-old out-of-womb child, and because her boyfriend pressured her, or because uh, she was a victim of some crime against her and the, and the baby looked like the perpetrator, and that mother killed their child, there's not a single person that would say she ought not be prosecuted. And anyone who coerced her to do that, he too or she too should be prosecuted. But we take a life two weeks pre-birth or nine months pre-birth and we act as if that's different. Not us. Not us. And trust me, we will be hated for this view. This is God's view. And as Christians, we know that those mothers who might be prosecuted need Jesus Christ just like we do. And their crime before God is heinous, and yet they're not separated from the love of Christ. And that's what we want to tell them. But if you make a law, you make a, you make a bill that makes it okay to do that because they're victims and they have no need for Jesus, do they? We believe from fertilization, that is a mago day, that is an, a human being made in the image of God. And we as Christians believe it's wrong to murder that child. And we believe it ought to be prosecuted like any other crime. And we believe that there is forgiveness for that sin like all others in Christ Jesus. And even for the men who stand in the way of that bill moving forward, they must repent. Christians or non-Christians, they must repent. And we need to tell them that. And call them to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Second thing that happened this week that I thought was worth mentioning, I go to... Once a month, I go to a pastor's gathering. Most of you may know I go to a pastor's gathering. There was probably, what, 30 pastors at this last one? Matter of fact, next month it'll be, yeah, next month we'll be here. We'll be hosting it. But the topic of He Gets Us came up. And maybe, maybe you don't know about this, so I'll try to give you a little, just a brief background. He Gets Us is a national, I don't even know what you call it, campaign whose stated goal is um, to remind us of examples of Jesus, um, to re- rediscover the love, to rediscover the love story of Jesus, Christians, non-Christians, and everyone in between. That's the goal of He Gets Us. They had an advertisement on the Super Bowl. And the advertisement on the Super Bowl of He Gets Us, Jesus Gets Us, was of foot washings. And there were different pictures that came up of foot washings and um, you had a you had a policeman washing the feet of a a, a a white policeman washing the feet of a melanin filled young man in an alley depicting a criminal you had a a popular long-haired blonde-haired high school student washing the feet of a short dyed haired female you had uh, an old cowboy washing the feet of an old Indian, American Indian. You had a, an, old, an, old, an older woman outside of a family planning clinic, an abortion mill, washing the feet of a younger woman with the protesters in the background. You had a a put-together woman washing the feet of a, a drunken woman in a disheveled house. You had an oil worker washing the feet of a climate activist. 
Yet a wealthy woman washing a homeless woman's feet. Yet a white woman with her husband sitting by washing the feet of an Islamic, brown-skinned Islamic woman based on her headdress. Yet a priest washing the feet of a gay young man. And at the end it says, Jesus didn't teach hate. He washed feet. And every one of those foot washings was the the, uh, privileged washing the feet of a marginalized. All of them. Where the picture of, you didn't have a picture of a foot washing of a BLMer washing the feet of a guy wearing a MAGA hat in his pickup truck. You didn't have that picture. You didn't have that picture. You had a false gospel. And what was startling was in this room of 30 pastors, there was very lively debate and no fighting, but lively debate. I'm a, a number of them thought it was a wonderful ad. It wasn't the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you go to the website, you'll see it has nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's telling a false Jesus and a false gospel. But the, 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 the men in this room who are leading churches, many thought it was a wonderful ad. It was great, though. We got to stand, we got to sit and talk about that. I, I've been going, I think it's my fourth time of going. I don't really say much. I know that's hard for you to believe, but I just don't. I, I'm, I'm, trying to be, I'm trying to be wise in the way I interact. Well, this week I said a lot. And um, afterwards I was able to talk to a couple of pastors and we got to have good dialogue and there was an appreciation for that. But we, we live in a world that promotes a false gospel and a false Jesus at every turn. And just like the first thing I talked about, what is life and what do we think about life? Uh, we, 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 ha- there's, we are, what is the church? The church is what? The pillar and buttress of truth. It is our job as a church, as the church, as church people, as Christians, to be pillars and buttresses of the truth, foundations of truth. And the truth is, Jesus, you saw probably the the counter um, ad that somebody did said, this is what should run, Jesus saves us. And it showed um, Rosaria Butterfield, for instance, a... a, uh, a former lesbian who now is a Christ lover. It showed Jeff Durbin, a former drug addict, who's now a pastor and a Christian. It showed salvation through repentance and what Christ can do for sinners. Not he gets us and watched the oppressed have their feet washed by the oppressors. And Jesus loves all people exactly how they are. And we want to tell people of the love story of Jesus for all people, whether they're Christians or not Christians. So that may not affect any, some of you may not be affected at all by that. Others of you will be around people that saw that ad and have an opinion about that ad. You can always strike up a conversation about abortion or you can be in the middle of conversations about those. Be pillars and buttress of truth. Stand on truth to the glory of God for the sake of Jesus Christ and his gospel. Don't compromise. I got into a discussion with somebody up there at the Capitol. X, 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 Y. X, X chromosome, X, Y chromosome. God made them male and female. Story over. Do you know how many bills they have to actually try to pass to make that claim with exceptions? Ludicrousness. Gay marriage, purple obtuse, no such thing. Okay, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14 will be in verses 12 through 14. 
message titled today, The Reward for Reciprocity. Please stand and I will read verses 12 through 14 of Luke 14. He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. You may be seated. Remember... And we'll look at this here in just a minute. But this ruler of the Pharisees that was a, 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 a member of the Sanhedrin, most likely this very powerful Jewish leader, had Jesus over for a Sabbath meal. And he lived, he lived in a world of reciprocity. It was a normal way of life in that day. Reciprocity meaning uh, mutual exchange of, of privileges. I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. Reciprocity, that's what that word means. We, too, live in this sort of a paradigm. Uh, there's nothing new under the sun. We, too, uh, we, often, we often serve those who can serve us back. We scratch someone's back. You know the old saying, I'll scratch your back if you'll scratch mine. Well, I'm not going to scratch the back of someone who has no fingers because they can't return the favor. And there's a reward for this reciprocity that Jesus will point out. He'll make crystal clear that there's a reward for this reciprocity, hence the title of the sermon. But before we look at, at these verses more closely, I just want us to review where we are. Um, uh, Luke chapter 14, verse 1, one Sabbath, when he went to the dine at the house of a ruler of Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. Jesus went to dine on a Sabbath at one of these ruler of the Pharisees. And behold, there was a trap. There was a man. Uh, there was a man before him who had dropsy. Remember, that's a, a edema, a, a fluid built up that you can see. So something wasn't functioning properly. His kidneys or his liver or his heart, but probably his kidneys. And he was, he was swollen up. He had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? They could not reply to these things. Jesus said, Is it wrong to heal on the Sabbath? And none of them said anything. Because again, these were Pharisees and scribes. They understood the law. There was nothing in God's law that would prohibit that. So they had no answer for that. And then he showed them their hypocrisy. He said, If your son who's very valuable to you, or your ox, who has a monetary value to you, was drowning in a well on the Sabbath, you would quickly save them. But this man who's drowning in his own fluid, you don't care at all about. Verse 7, now he told a parable. So he had, he had quieted their mouths and exposed their hypocrisy. Now he told him a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the place of honor, saying to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will, you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that then when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and all, he who humbles himself will be exalted. That, that these men, remember they had that U-shaped seating arrangement with the, the, the host here and the most important people here, and then the closer you were to them, the more important you were. And they were all trying to exalt themselves by getting the best seat. And Jesus tells them, no, no, you should, you, you, he told them a parable. This, this, wasn't, this was a parable to tell them the way you do that, you're trying to exalt yourself, you're going to be humbled. And the one who wants to humble themselves and not fight for the best seat or exalt themselves, but humble themselves, they're going to be exalted. And, and, and he, he, he ended with that. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, he who humbles himself will be exalted. And so, and so the, 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 the 
What we can understand from that is, what does 1 Peter 5, 6 say? Humble yourselves, therefore, into the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time He may exalt you. James 4, humble yourselves. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves before the Lord. He will exalt you. And then, and then the greatest example of that, that, that humility that then brought about exaltation is whom? Christ Jesus himself. Philippians 2, 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. You're not as important as you think you are. And neither are your opinions. Neither are your wants. Neither are your achievements. Let each of you look out not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Stop with the self-focus and the self-exaltation. Consider others' interest. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and having been found in human form. He humbled. Same word we looked at last week, tapanao. He disgraced himself. He humiliated himself. He embarrassed himself. He humbled himself. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then the next verse, God has highly exalted him. That's the example. Unto salvation and unto sanctification. The example is humble yourselves and he will exalt you. Self-exaltation will lead to God bringing you low in the day of judgment. Humility will bring exaltation. And our example is Christ himself. So now he silenced them based on their hypocrisy, their, their, their hypocrisy con- concerning this man with dropsy. He's shown them that their self-exaltation will bring them shame and humility will bring them exaltation and eternal reward. He's teaching them these lessons, as we'll see and we have seen, concerning the kingdom of God. He's talking about eternal realities. He's talking about who will enter the kingdom of God and who won't. And he doesn't stop there. Remember, he's at this this Sabbath day meal. He's done these two things. He's, He's healed this man with drops. He challenged him all. Then he turned to the guests and said, stop trying to exalt yourselves. Humble yourselves. And then he turns directly to this ruler of the Pharisees, the host. And he gives him some instruction. He says also to the man who invited him. Now remember who this man is. He's a ruler of the Pharisees. He is a member of the Sanhedrin. He is very high up in Pharisaical. He, he's like Saul turned to Paul used to be. He's very important in Judaism. And he turns to this ruler and he says to him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. So as we look at this passage... We need to ask this question. Is this instruction to us? Are we being told, don't have your friends and family and neighbors to suffer? No, we're not. Is there application for us? Of course there is. This is not instruction to us. This is not uh, This is not how we are supposed to live. In other words, we're not being given a command. Just like when Jesus talks to the rich young ruler and tells him to sell everything and follow him, we're not being told we have to sell everything unless we're not willing to sell everything. And that's how we're being told that. We're not being told don't have family and friends to suffer unless that's the only people we're willing to serve. This is an instruction directly to this man to show him his earthly self-focus that had him separated from God. We don't take this as a literal prohibition of having family and friends to suffer. 
By the same token, we don't just skip over this verse and say it doesn't apply, which is a tendency we have. Certain passages, you'll read through your Bible, you'll see it, say, yeah, we'll just go on. That doesn't really apply to me. Because surely Jesus isn't telling me I can't have my friends and family over. So let me move on to the next thing. No, there's things in here that we should be considering. This, this view of reciprocity, this, this law of reciprocity that we really kind of live by at times. This focus on, on an earthly return for our investment. All of us, I would argue, to some degree, operate in this law of reciprocity, in the way we think, in the way we live. He said, also the man who invited him, when you give a dinner or banquet, do not invite your friends, your philos. These are your friends. These are your dear friends. These are the ones you are most fond of. He tells this man, don't invite those you are most fond of. Or your brothers, Adelphos, your actual biological or spiritual brothers. Don't invite them, ruler of the Pharisees. Or your relatives, Sungenes, same kin, related by blood. Don't invite your fellow Jews or your biological kinsmen. Or your rich neighbors, Plausias Gaitan, wealthy neighbor. Why should this ruler of the Jews, this important, powerful man, not do that? What's the reason Jesus gives for this instruction? He tells him, don't do this, and why not? Lest they also invite you in return. Don't invite them because they might invite you back. And you be repaid. Antipodoma, recompense, reward for what has been done. Don't invite those who can invite you back because as soon as they invite you back, you've been repaid. You've received your recompense. What? That's the economy of the world, isn't it? I'll scratch your back if you'll scratch mine. We're actually taught this, aren't we? We're taught reciprocity. And this, this don't invite my friends and my family because they'll repay me? Well, of course they'll repay me. That's what, that's what friends and family do. Reciprocity is a great motivator. If I buy lunch for a wealthy person, he might have me at a dinner at the best restaurant in town. Jesus tells this very important man in the community, this very highly thought of, this, this man who, who has him over and, and all, of his, all of his cronies, all of his kinsmen, all of his friends, all the important people in town for this Sabbath day meal. He says, don't invite your friends and your family and the wealthy person. Don't invite them because they might pay you back. And then you've received your reward this reward of reciprocity, getting repaid. He's telling this man there is no eternal value because remember, we're talking about the kingdom of God. There is no eternal value in tit for tat. I scratch your back if you scratch mine. I'll have you to supper, you have me to supper. There's no eternal value in that. As a matter of fact, it's a, it's a net zero sum game. If I buy dinner for Jay, and then he buys dinner for me, who's ahead? We've gained nothing. And if we're in it to gain something, we've gained everything we're going to gain. Our meal back. You've gotten your full reward. The, and, and then there might be a slight gain also, because... They might provide a little better than me. If I have him over for supper, he might have me over for even a better supper. But we do nothing for you concerning the kingdom of God is what he's telling this man. The reason you don't want to just invite the folks you're comfortable having over is because they might pay you back. And if they pay you back, 
you've received everything you're going to receive. There's nothing more for you to get. When you have a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends. Again, this is not being said to you, Jay. You're not being told, don't have me and your parents and John, don't have us over. Because you'll be violating this. No, but if all you're going to do is have people over that can do something for you, that's not the heart of those that will enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless they invite you also in return and you'll be repaid. You give a great party, so you'll be invited to a party. It's all worthless. Because this is what this man was doing. This was his life. This was the Pharisee life. This was the, the Jewish religious elite's life. But when you give a feast, now a, a, a transition, he's telling him, but when you give a feast, you ruler of the Pharisees, here's a, here's a right list of in, invitees. When you give a feast, invite the poor. Patokos. Remember, Patokos, that's the poor, the beggarly, the destitute. They're of little value. They're relatively worthless. Remember, for those who were here a long time ago, Patokos. That's the poor in spirit that Jesus teaches on in the Beatitudes. Patokos was the beggar who would, who would crouch down and put his face down and not even look up as he put his hand out to beg. He's a worthless beggar. That's who you invite. You ruler of the Pharisees. These Pharisees hated these beggars. They looked down on them. They, they looked down their noses at them. They considered them low lives and very inferior to them, and they had nothing to offer them. So invite them. Invite the crippled, on a paras, the maimed, the mutilated, the outcast because of their physical maladies. They were obvious, the ones that looked hideous, like Elephant Man, like deformed, and that's who you invite. Yeah, the ones who you look down your noses at. They have nothing they could do for you, and quite frankly, they're despicable. Invite them. Invite the lame. Kolos, pertaining to disability, involves the imperfect function of the lower limbs, the person who can't walk. And has no way to care for themselves, let alone you. Invite them. We see how this lame, crippled man, remember in Acts 3? And a lame man from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. This lame man was carried and plopped down by the beautiful gate, so with all these... Religious folks, these Pharisees and the scribes and all of their followers could walk in. They could throw some change, give some alms to this despicable lame man. Invite him. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the patokos, the crippled, anaparas, the lame, and the blind. We know what Jews thought of blind people, don't we? Who sinned, him or his parents? Blind people were sinners. Don't, they, have, they had nothing to offer. There's nothing a blind person could do in that economy. They didn't have handicap accessible things and laws. There was nothing a blind person could do for you. And not to mention they were dirty sinners that you don't want to go near. That's who you invite. Instead of inviting your friends and your brothers and your kinsmen and the wealthy people, don't do that because they can pay you back and then you've received your reward. Invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind. This is who you are to invite to your feast and your party, O ruler of the Pharisees, who has thrown this great Sabbath day meal that I'm sitting at right now. Those who you look down on. Those who can do nothing for you in return. Those who are worthless in society, who are mutilated and lame and blind. 
Those who can do absolutely nothing for you. Those who are despised. The ruler of the Pharisees has got to have his mind being blown right now. What are you talking about? Don't invite those that are important and can pay me back, which is what I want. They can honor me because I honor them. They can return. You're telling me I'm going to invite these lowlifes who can do nothing for me and they're just straight up lowlifes? Why would I possibly do that? What's my gain? What was his mind on? The earth, wasn't it? Temporal reward. It would make no sense, would it? I'm with him from an earthly perspective. What good does it do me to invite these lowlifes who can do nothing for me to my party? There's no return on my investment. That has to be what he's thinking. And Jesus tells him why. Here's why. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. You do it because you will be blessed. Because they cannot repay you. Blessed. Makarios. Blessed, fortunate, well off. How is it possibly a blessing to invite people who can do nothing for my earthly happiness? What are you talking about? They can't pay me back. What is in it for me? What's in it for me? This is this, is this, this Pharisee's mindset. I mean, what, why would I possibly do that? You're telling me it's a blessing because they cannot repay me? I'm out. That's not a blessing. That's a net minus. I've lost something and regained nothing. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. Versus don't invite those other folks because you will get your full reward when they do repay you. And then he says this, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Resurrection, anastasis, a rising up, a raising from the dead. Now this ruler of the Pharisees, this, this member of the Sanhedrin, he understood exactly what Jesus was referring to. Because he fully believed in the resurrection. Because he was a Pharisee. The Sadducees didn't. Acts 23, 6. Now when Paul perceived, and remember who Paul was, he was a former Pharisee, that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out to the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there was no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledged them all. So this Pharisee believed in the resurrection of the dead. And Jesus says, you'll be repaid. So, invite the ones who could do nothing for you, these low-life, despicable creatures that could do nothing for you because they can't repay you, and you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. The dikaios, righteous, just, upright, in accordance with God's compelling standards. Acts 24, 14. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law written in prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, and there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. The dikaios, the righteous, that will resurrect to heaven, and the unjust, who are not in the kingdom of God. There will be a resurrection of both. And he's telling this ruler of the Pharisees, the reason you, you, you invite these lowlives who cannot repay you because you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. This, this repayment, forgiving, for serving others, those that could do nothing for you, those have nothing in return to give you in this temporal world. There is no temporal blessing for giving this to them. 
This is the heart of the people who enter into the kingdom of heaven. Which you don't have, ruler of the Pharisees. You have no heart for that man with dropsy. You have no heart for these despicable creatures that can do nothing for you. You just want to rub elbows with the muckety-mucks who can pay you back now. So you can get your back scratched. How, how infuriating this had to be to him. How ridiculous this had to sound. That this high view, this high-minded, self-righteous man who was following all these laws, even Sabbath laws, and making sure that, that they followed their laws, the God's laws, and the laws of men, very high and mighty, these low-life, despicable sinners who had nothing to offer society or them, and certainly nothing to offer God. You, you actually think I should invite them because they won't repay me, and somehow that has anything to do with entering the kingdom of God? Yeah, it has everything to do with that. How silly would it be of him to honor those who couldn't honor him back? How silly would it be of him to scratch the back of a man with no fingers? What's in it for me? Nothing is in it for you, and that's your problem. All you want to know is what's in it for you. Jesus was pointing them to the kingdom of God, to eternity. This was the whole point. What did he teach as he went around and taught and preached the kingdom of God? And we know from the next verse, we'll see it next week, but uh, when one of the reclined table heard him say, blessed everyone who entered the, who will eat the bread in the kingdom of God. They understand what's being talked about here. Eternity. And they see no connection between giving selflessly with nothing coming back and the heart of entering the kingdom. They, they don't see it. They believe this, this rule of reciprocity is a wise thing to live by. And so do we sometimes. Jesus, Jesus gave his life for a bunch of lowlifes who could offer him nothing like me. He offered his, he, he served a despicable creature like me who could offer him nothing in return. And you, you don't want to serve people who can offer you nothing in return. You only want to serve people who can give you something back. Jesus invites to the big party. Who? The lame, the crippled, the blind. That's who's invited to the biggest party that will ever be thrown. The one that I'll be at. Because Christ served me with his life, his death, and his resurrection, and there's nothing I can give him in return. He didn't serve these Pharisees who were given him this really good meal and would have given him more. Proverbs 19, 17, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. Anybody who gives to those who have, can give nothing in return, we give the gospel, the truth, we give aid to the spiritually poor, we're lending to the Lord. This man can't pay us back. And if he does, we've received all of our recompense. Philippians 2, 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. The heart of the Christian is to think of these low lives as more important than you. Because we understand... We're actually the lowlifes. We're actually despicable, no good, can give nothing back. We're them. We're them. We are the lame and the crippled and the blind and the poor. 
Hebrews 6.10, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for His name in serving the saints. He won't overlook the love that you show by serving the saints. All the saints. Not just the wealthy saints. Not just the saints who can do something for you. Not just the ones you like. Not just the ones who are your closest, most fond of friends. All the saints. All those. And, and we don't serve one another looking for what they're, you're going to give back to us. And we do sometimes, don't we? We're not to be respecters of persons. Romans 2.11, God shows no partiality. Be careful that we do not show partiality when we serve others. That we only invite those who are near and dear to us. Knowing that they'll invite us back. Because we're near and dear to them as well. We, we don't, by the grace of God, live by this rule of reciprocity. Because we understand that's an earthly rule. The reciprocity that we seek and live by is only going to take place on this earth. And Jesus didn't come for reciprocity on this earth. He came to save sinners, wretched, vile sinners, for eternity. And then when He does that, we see that, and we don't live by this rule of reciprocity. Hebrews 13.1 Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. We're to show hospitality to strangers. Not just those we... We know best. Luke 6, 24, But woe to you are rich, for you have received your consolation. In the same way, rich people trust in their riches. Or like the Luke 12, the, the man who stored up all this stuff and said, now I can kick back and relax. If richness is what you're after, you've received it. If reciprocity is what you're after and you get it, you've received it. You've got nothing else coming. If worldly wealth is your goal and you achieve it, then you're fully paid. If receiving something back from someone that you are hospitable to or you serve, if receiving some, something back is what you're after, when you get it, you're fully paid. And this is exactly how this Pharisee lived. This is not about not inviting your friends and family to dinner who might invite you back. It's about the heart of those entering the kingdom of heaven is we will give to those who have nothing to give us. We will give the gospel to those who might even hate us for it. And maybe all they'll give us back is hatred and vile. Matthew 25, 40, And the king will answer, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me, the least, the ones who have nothing to reciprocate with. This instruction that was pointed to this ruler of the Pharisees, that's where his heart was. His heart was on earthly reciprocation. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. His treasure was in what he would get in return from those that he was serving and honoring and giving a meal to. That was his treasure. That's what he was after. And that's where his heart was. And that's not the heart of those who will enter the kingdom of heaven. The heart of the, the, those that will enter the kingdom of heaven are not focused on earthly reciprocity. They're focused on the salvation of sinners and eternal life. This, this, this selfish giving that he was participating in is not the heart of those who will be at the resurrection of the just. Who, who's on Jesus' guest list? 
Me, the worst of all sinners, the lame, the crippled, the blind. That's, who was, that's who's on Jesus' guest list. Who's on your guest list? Who's on my guest list? To whom do I extend hospitality and friendship? Only the ones who can repay? Do we reach out to everyone with the good news of Jesus Christ or only those who maybe can gain us some sort of an advantage? It can benefit us. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. You've already gotten what you're after. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Closing thought. Reciprocity is the way of this world, but it is not the way of the kingdom of God. We need to understand that. Whatever, whatever we think about this passage, or whatever we're thinking about right now, just understand reciprocity is the way of this world. It is not the way of the kingdom of God. May we repent of giving to get. May we repent of giving to get. Or withholding from those who can offer us nothing in return. Or not looking toward our eternal reward when we are resurrected. May we repent of those things. Jesus did not give of himself that his bride would pay him back. He needs nothing from us and has given us everything freely. May we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus and live our lives from there from the place of Philippians 2, the mind of Christ who humbled himself, who, who came for the, the gross, who came to save sinners, that we not be like the world around us. And maybe you don't struggle with this much and maybe a little and maybe a lot. But I know all of us all of us fight this in our hearts because we're so conditioned to think what's in it for me. That's not how King Jesus thinks. That's not how we're to think. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for this reminder that the reward that we receive for earthly service when looking for reciprocation is the very reciprocation and we received everything. But Father, when we serve and we give to those who can do nothing for us, we are, we are most like Christ. Father, help us to be led by your Spirit to live out of these truths and be more like Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing hymn 177 in Christ alone. 177 in Christ alone.